Of course, I'm sure you're wondering, why are we holding a rock? Jo uh, Will, did you need a rock? Absolutely. Jesus used a lot of simple things when he taught people. Hopefully this rock will help us learn something today. Everyone can hear me? Anyone need a pen, the paper, or a rock? Great. Before I begin, a brief preamble, as it were, but a couple things that I definitely feel moved by. Not only the songs that we have just sang, listen to our heart, words could fall like rain, and Isaiah talks about how, in Isaiah 55, for those who wish to read closer, how rain and snow comes down, and in the same way God's word goes out and does not return to him void. Words could fall like rain from these lips of mine. Words are falling like rain from God's lips. There's no shortage of words from God. I'm thankful for what John said as we remember our Lord and Savior. He died on a tree. Our lesson earlier this morning was be like a tree. I'll tell you, I don't want to be the sort of tree that the body of Christ would hang on. We read of those who have tasted of God, right? They, they've learned of his goodness, and then they turn away. And when they do that, they crucify again our Lord and Savior. I, I don't want to do that. What once was enough. What, wouldn't that be something we all wish to say? Jesus on the cross once was enough. Because if I sin again, crucify my Lord again. H how many times? Is twice enough? Yep, I did bad. I'm going to repent and do better. Three times enough. These are the things I thought about as we worshiped. If you'd open your Bibles to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 17. Our lesson this morning is what will grow in your heart. Jeremiah chapter 17. I'm going to use a couple scriptures here to uh, simply fill you in on what the first lesson of the morning was. Growing like a tree, being like a tree, bearing fruit. Jeremiah 17 and verse 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. That was my entire lesson earlier. You might think, wow, it took you 30 minutes to preach that. It's as simple as that in God's word. For expanded detail and some illustrations, uh, that recording will be available. But that was the lesson this morning. And now we go into, if we are like trees and we bear fruit, what will grow in our heart? When we continue reading here, verse 9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man, and we understand there that that means mankind, every man, every woman, to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. On your papers, you have four empty squares. In that first square, by way of taking note, as it were, I will not ask for these papers back. You're not going to have to share them with anybody. But in that first square, I would like to ask you to write down what it feels like to be wrong. For you, what does it feel like to be wrong? Just in that first square, grab your pen, just write however. There's no right or wrong answer, one would think, right? By that I mean there's no right or wrong way to say what you would say. So how does it feel to be wrong? Write it down in that first square. To you, how does it feel to be wrong? 
Because there is a way which seems right to a man, but its way leads to death. I really hope what you wrote down is nothing, or the word nothing, or what it feels like to be right. Because remember what happened when Paul was on the island at the end of Acts, and a snake jumped out of the fire and bit him? And everyone who saw it, they thought, this is the very last couple verses in, in Acts, if you want to refer to it. They said, oh, he's a criminal, and God's given him justice, and that snake's going to bite him, he's going to die. And then he didn't die, and so the verse reads, so they changed their minds and thought he was a god. Brothers and sisters, when we are wrong, remember, it does not feel like anything. It feels like being right. When we find out we're wrong, that's when that anger and guilt and embarrassment and shame comes through. This is very important to impress upon us that when we think we're right, we just carry on, even if we're wrong. Being wrong does not feel like anything. If it feels like anything at all, it feels like being right, because then we learn something or someone challenges us, or ideally we go to the Word of God and we change our mind. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its way is death. Death is a word that is very important. We know out of the abundance of the heart, that's what we speak. In the Proverbs, we read that life and death are in the power of the tongue. If you would turn in your Bibles to Proverbs 18, verse 21, part of that verse, I feel, perhaps maybe we skip over, does not always get included for whatever reason. In the book of Proverbs, chapter 18, verse 21, we can all quote most of us, so let me pause for a second. I want to mention we are at different levels of understanding and faith. Some of us are newer, newer to our faith. Some of us have been Christians. Some of you in this room have been Christians longer than I have been alive. We have different levels, but the word of God is the same for all of us. In this passage, we read verse 21 of Proverbs 18, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and there's more, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Fruits of life, fruits of death. Which one do you have a taste for? Which one are you used to eating? At two points today during our lesson, I'm going to ask for you to communicate with me. I'm not going to ask you to speak out loud. This will be the first one. And what I'm going to ask you to do, for those who are willing and want to engage, and let me know what you're thinking. Because how do I know? How do I know what you're thinking? I don't know what's in your heart. I never will. Even if you tell me I still do not know what's in your heart. So here's the first one. I'll ask for those who are willing, if you'll close your eyes, and I'm going to ask a question. And if the answer is yes, I would just like for you to open your eyes so I can see who answers yes. So if I may ask that you all close your eyes, I'm going to ask the question, do you believe that you have spoken death with your words in your life? If the answer is yes, open your eyes. May everyone open their eyes, please. Thank you. Some of us maybe do not believe that we have spoken death in our lives. What is death? It is separation from God. It is sin. We know that sin causes death. And then there's a second death. All of this death and sin, all of this awfulness comes from when we choose to believe ourselves or other people rather than God. Adam and Eve in the garden listened to the serpent. Where do your thoughts come from? When we read in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, in verse 6 specifically, Brother Jerry read from those Beatitudes earlier. Beautiful, those Beatitudes. What encouragement. 
to read those when you're struggling. I mean, blessed are the peacemakers. We're speaking of the heart today. It's peacemakers, not pacemakers for anyone who's not sure, though perhaps some young man can make an invitation out of that. The pacemaker, spiritually speaking, because that's what we're really talking about here. I have half an hour. I'm not going to try and define the heart. Mankind has struggled for 2,000 years with untold poetry, movies, books to try and explain what the heart is. I'm not going to do that. We're just going to go with our own ideas here of the heart. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you. I think Jerry's translation read when others insult you or slander you. Take our minds back there to verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I think of that, and I don't want to think that it is something far distant in the future. I want to think of how Jesus says, whenever you help someone, you're helping me, whatever you do to the least of these. Do we see the fact that our brothers and sisters are image bearers, made in the image of God? If we truly believe that, how careful would we be to what we grow in our heart for how that could affect others and whether we would be speaking life or be speaking death? The heart's deceitful, desperately sick. Remember the proverb says, hope deferred makes a heart sick. So a lot of us have had our hopes broken and deferred and let down, haven't we? All of us can say that has happened to us. I would ask if you would, in your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. In a moment, I will read from there. Additionally, on your papers, there's three lists of verses for your reference. I'm going to read through these verses in one reading. They're from different parts of the Bible, but they illustrate a theme that is the same from the beginning of God's Word to the end of God's Word. So that first set of verses reads as such. The Proverbs, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Jesus speaking in Matthew, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good, for out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks? Jesus speaking in Luke, the good man brings good things up out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored in his heart, for out of the overflow of his heart his mouth speaks. Jesus in Matthew still, verse, chapter 13, for this people's heart has become calloused or dull, They hardly hear with their ears, and they've closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. Jesus speaking in John, anyone who believes in me may come and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. The idea of replenishing ourselves with God's love so we can share with others. The writer of the letter to Hebrews says, Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him, for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. And then the writer of the letter to Ephesians says, I pray from his glorious unlimited resources he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit, that Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down, into God's love and keep you strong. Some translations say that you may be rooted and you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love. In Romans chapter 8, in verse 28, we read, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for saints according to the will of God. Brothers and sisters, I've come to accept that I cannot trust my heart. 
That's what God said. I'm not going to disagree with God. Many times I disagree with the Bible, and that's my failing. I have to, in those moments, look and go, why am I disagreeing? I want to be angry at someone. But God says, be gentle. Get rid of fits of anger. So I have to take what I disagree with, and I have to give my heart to God. Full surrender. No bits and pieces. All of it. Can't just give him half my heart. Even Solomon, who we've been studying in Ecclesiastes, uh, Solomon widely thought to be that writer. Remember, there's a story, the child that comes to him, the two mothers, and he says, let's divide it. And that mother says, no, I would rather my child live whole than be divided. I do not want a part of my child. That is what God says to us. The writer of Proverbs, speaking to his son, says, give me thine heart. The great God, creator of all the universe, becomes the petitioner, and he asks for us to give him his heart. What sort of sense does that make? It's difficult because there are so many distractions when we consider the question of what will grow in our heart. We look here, still in Romans, we go over to verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? You know, there's a lot of these that we don't have experience with. Uh, you may, right, but I feel for most of us, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, not so much things that we deal with. I don't really. Some of these others make sense. Tribulation. We know that from Romans. We rejoice in tribulation because tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, proven character, proven character, hope, and hope does not disappoint for God has poured out his spirit on us with love. That makes sense. Yeah, we have tribulation. Distress. I mean, have we looked around? Have you listened? We get distressed and stress. Persecution. This is a tricky one. Let me ask you in your second square... So, whichever one, up here, that's fine. I'm going to say some words, a few statements, and what I want you to write into this second square is how those statements make you feel. I'm going to say some words, some statements. These are not statements I believe. These are statements I have heard. I'm going to say that three times in total, so there's no confusion. These are not statements I believe. These are statements I have heard. These are not statements I believe. These are statements I have heard. So what I want you to do is, as I say them, five of them, I want you to write down into this second square what you feel, what you think upon hearing them, how they make you feel, how they make you think, words, phrases, emotions, whatever. I want you to write into this second square what they make you think and feel to hear these five statements. Statement number one, Christians are so dumb and brainwashed. Go ahead. Write down how that makes you feel to hear that. Statement number two, Christians are only believers because of childhood trauma. Go ahead, write that down. How does it make you feel and think to hear that? Christians are helping Satan blind the ignorant. Christians are a curse upon this nation. Christians are predators. Five statements. And now for the second time and the last time in this lesson, I'm going to ask you to communicate with me. I'm not going to ask for your papers. I'm not going to ask you to share it out loud. But I want to ask if a certain key word showed up. So I'm going to ask that we close our eyes. 
and I'm going to ask the question, and if the answer is yes, I will ask you to open your eyes. We close our eyes, I'll ask the question, if the answer is yes, open them. Did the word blessed show up in what you wrote down? I'll ask you to open your eyes. Brothers and sisters, the heart is deceitful, sick, and it overwhelms you, and it puts thoughts in your head that overtake the words of God. Whose words are you speaking? We read from the Beatitudes. Jerry did. We read from it in our earlier lesson. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed. You might think, David, it's just a word. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. What power it can be when someone persecutes and reviles and slanders us for us to be say, I feel blessed to suffer as my Lord did, as John reminded us when he spoke, to suffer in the same way. Blessed, blessed. That's the word of God. We wonder then, well, David, perhaps you caught me at a bad moment. I was kind of stressed. Yes, that's what happens. The devil's about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, seeking ways through our armor, seeking those who are weak, who are barely escaping from error. You might say, David, it's just a word, but I have to wonder for myself if in this safe space that we are in right now worshiping together, and I hear and think about being persecuted or slandered or someone saying something that I feel is not true, if in this moment I don't feel blessed by that, what happens when I leave here? Go out and encounter it for real. How will I respond? Out of the abundance of our heart, our words pour forth. I would ask if you would turn with me into the book of Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, there's the parable of the sower. The parable is explained in detailed, so we don't have to be confused about it. In verse 18, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. That's what was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the world, immediately falls away. And as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the word and the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Our second set of scriptures on your paper. The writer to the church at Corinth says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves. Do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Christ Jesus is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? The writer, to, the writer of 1 John, who's John, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all righteousness. And in the 139th Psalm, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in way everlasting. The writer 
in his second letter to Corinth, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. The phrase without understanding was in Jesus' explanation of that parable. The writer James, when he writes his letter, says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. It is difficult to think about the condition of our heart. And I know that some of us would rather die than have an uncomfortable conversation. I get it. In fact, if one is not used to being evaluated and held accountable to the word of God, it can feel like an attack. I'm going to say that two more times. If one is not used to being evaluated and held accountable, not by me comparing myself to someone else, because I could, I could make myself look real good. I'm going to compare myself and be held accountable to that standard. I'm going to ace that. Perfect. Not that we compare ourselves by ourselves, by each other, people in the world. We compare ourselves to the Word of God. If we are not used to being evaluated and held accountable by the Word of God, it can feel like an attack. And for the third time, if we are not used to being evaluated and held accountable by the Word of God, it can feel like an attack. It's difficult because our heart condition is something that maybe we don't think about spiritually in terms of how we got here. If one has a physical heart condition, we tell the doctors, right? You know, we go, hey, this is, this is the heart trouble that my father had, my mother had, going back in the family. And heart trouble, ooh, generational. It can happen. I want you to think for a moment of Moses and the spiritual heart trouble that came from his family. You'll recall in Genesis, uh, one of the children, uh, Dinah, was assaulted. This is in Genesis 34, for anyone who wants to look at it later. And she's assaulted, and the brothers are all upset, so they trick the city of the people who assaulted them into becoming circumcised. And then two of the brothers, Simeon and Levi, they were very angry, and they went in by the sword. Later in Genesis, when Jacob excuse me, when Joseph blesses his sons, he specifically, in chapter 49, for those who wish to turn there, he says, but Levi, his heart's full of anger. Anger, anger, anger. You go to Exodus, a Levite in chapter 2 goes to a Levite woman and marries her and bears a son, and that son is Moses. And what does Moses do? He's angry and he strikes someone down. And again, he strikes a rock in anger. And again, he's angry. What heart conditions do we carry with us? Let me give you a positive example to balance that, if it may. There was a time I was sitting... I was sitting with my grandmother as she was passing away from Alzheimer's on my mother's side. This woman at the end of her life, was the flesh is weak, we'll put it that way. Forgetting names, forgetting things, forgetting places, some days forgetting how to swallow. But I do remember her looking at me one time and saying, right near the end, are you taking care of my children? How did that stay in there? There's a saying that the more we encounter things which terrify us and that are destructive, if we truly embrace that and have no fear and do not shrink back, we are not cowards like the writer in Hebrews says, we are not those who shrink back. If we allow ourselves to diminish and be destroyed and crumbled, if it breaks our heart, 
The only thing left will be that which is indestructible, what God has placed in our hearts. And I think of the stamp of grace to have, I would wish that I would never outlive my love for each of you, for each person I know. And this I tell you, brothers and sisters, I will love you more than I love what you think of me. And I wish for you to do that for me. To hold me accountable as I've asked, asked, asked. To hold each other accountable. To be the person who, when someone that you know or in your circle or that you love, when they say something outrageous that is death, that is terrible, you may wonder, where did I get these statements, those five statements? Each of those statements I heard from Christians, but instead of saying Christians, it was just some other group of people. A different political party, a person who lives a certain lifestyle, a group. And when I hear that, it breaks my heart, and I go to that person, I, I go to them individually, and I say, help me understand, do you know how that sounds? What if I struggled with X, Y, Z, and I hear at a potluck or at Bible school, vacation Bible school, or at a camp, or wherever it may be, and I hear a Christian say, this is X, Y, Z that I struggle with, and I hear a Christian say, you know, people who have X, Y, Z only struggle with that because they had childhood trauma. People who have X, Y, Z, you know, they only have a problem with that because they just aren't smart enough or brave enough or they're just ignorant or brain. I would crumble if I was struggling with that, and what I would not do just feel like I could trust that person. I would feel rejected. And I want you to think of what Jesus does. He does not reject. We sang in our song that lyric, my name is graven on his hands, directly before that verse in the prophet. God says, can a mother forget her infant? Like my grandmother could not forget the love she had for her children. And God says, my love is like that. What shape does that love take? I'm going to ask you in your third square, if you would, write down the last time. Again, I'm not asking for these. Keep these. Keep them in your Bible. Throw them away. Whatever you want to do is what will grow in your heart. In this third square, write down the last time you confessed to someone. You don't have to put the details in case the paper slips out, but just when was the day? Was it a week ago? When's the last time you apologized to someone? When's the last time you made something right? I'll tell you something I like to think, brothers and sisters. Whenever someone gets up in the middle of services and they go out, usually it's for maybe a child or for a personal need, I love to think that they are pricked in their hearts and they're leaving for a moment because they're going to go text somebody and say, I'm worshiping God right now and I need to make this right before I continue. I don't know if that happens or not. I would hope that it would. It's probably not what happens. Most times people just got to get up, go get a drink of water. But man... If we believe the word of God, if I believe it, what would I do different? I think of Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Following your heart will turn you into an animal. That's what we read in Scripture, that he, those who give up their understanding and follow idols and give in to their desires, they are like animals and beasts, and God turns them over without understanding. That's what they are. I don't want to be that. 
I'll ask you this. You may be thinking, we just read that parable, and you may be thinking, well, the word blessed was definitely not in my heart when I thought about being persecuted, reviled, or slandered. So you may be thinking, do I have a heart of stone? I'm going to tell you, you don't. Not a single one of you do, because look at what you just wrote down. Look at those feelings. Look at that godly sorrow. Look at that love that spurs you to write words. Not just lofty words, but spurred by deeds and actions. I'm telling you, not a single person in here has a heart of stone. No matter what you feel, you have a heart that feels something. God's not done with you. God will guard your heart. If I don't have the knowledge to guard my own heart, God's well above whatever I can do. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love is important to our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Jeremiah 17 again, the heart is, I'm skipping over Romans and Titus for the moment. You can refer to them later. The heart is deceitful above all things. Jeremiah, desperately sick. Who can understand it? First Peter's letter, this letter to First Peter wrote, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Whoever trusts in his own mind, the proverb reads, is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. For the heart is what one used to believe in Romans and is justified with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So, brothers and sisters, do not be deceived by the devil and think it's okay to just feel stuff in your heart all the time and never open your mouth and use your words and confess and take action in God's kingdom. Ezekiel 36, God speaking says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'd ask if you would to turn to the book of Philippians. Chapter 2. This will be our last passage this morning. Philippians chapter 2. I've been holding on to this rock in my hand the whole sermon. It's getting pretty tiresome. But, you know, if I hold on to it long enough, I just forget that I'm holding it. It just becomes part of my day. I'll... Hold my pen without dropping the rock. I'll just hold it. Just what I do, I hold my rock. What are we holding on to, brothers and sisters, in our lives? What beliefs, what ways, what language have we forgotten? (laughs) When I was a a young boy, my father took me to the city of Bucharest, Romania, not a... And uh, apparently, I don't remember this, but when I was a child there, apparently I became, if not fluent, at least conversational, and I would help everybody shop in the marketplace. And so I spoke Romanian. It was great, apparently. I don't remember it, because when we moved back to the States after years in Romania, I didn't use that language, so I forgot it. Brothers and sisters, the question I ask myself is, have I forgotten the language of love, the language of life that God gives to us? Who's my example then? Jesus. Two examples, one ending in Philippians and then the lesson will be yours. First example, for those who remember in Luke, there's an account where Jesus is eating with these Pharisees and a woman, a prostitute, comes in with, with this ointment. And she's a mess. She's weeping. She's crying. She's someone who we might perhaps, if we are not careful, will have the thoughts like the Pharisees did. Does this woman not know what she's doing? Jesus, don't you know what kind of woman this is? How dare this woman repent in the middle of services instead of waiting to the end of the meal like she's supposed to? How dare she wear her heart on her sleeve? 
but she was drawn to Jesus. She's weeping and she's crying. And in Luke 7, Jesus says to the Pharisees who are being just awful, he says, who do you think loves the most? The one who's forgiven little or the one who's forgiven much? And he's playing very dangerously with the word love there, Jesus says, because who would want the love of a prostitute? But then, he says, the same is forgiven little, loves little, and the one who's forgiven much, loves much. I will not know what's in your hearts, brothers and sisters, but I can speak for my heart, though it's deceitful, though it's sick, when I look to God's word, I can tell you, I love Jesus very, 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 very much. You may say, David, how can you speak of life and death in the tongue? Brothers and sisters, all of us have spoken death with our words when we are unkind and unloving and unthoughtful. Each of you has slain your thousands. I've slain my ten thousands. Jesus did not reject this woman. She went to him and he did not reject her. Who have I rejected in my life that I will give an account to someday before God? Jesus in Philippians, we read something about him. We read in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God from the ESV, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He just let go. He gave it all up. What are we going to do? God asks for our heart. And I know sometimes it's broken. And you feel divided and you're not sure what it is, but I promise you, you have nothing to fear from God. He won't reject you. And when we live like he does, we won't reject others either. We'll welcome them with unconditional welcome. God's love is unconditional. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. We must repent. But God loved us while we were sinners. God will take your heart, no matter the condition. Will you confess? Will you give him your heart? You may think it's broken, it's useless, it's worthless, it's stained. He'll clean it. He'll wash it. He will accept you. He'll take your heart, but he does have to have all of the pieces of it. If we can help you in any way, please come forward while we stand and sing.